Hi, and welcome to Femmes Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Asiel, and this podcast aims to support, educate, and empower women to achieve career success and financial freedom. In each episode, Femmes Finance talks with successful women leaders, founders, and investors to inspire you in your journey to financial freedom. Check out the show notes, links, and resources on our page, femmesfinance.life. Hi, and welcome to the Femmes Finance Podcast. Today, we've got an exciting topic to explore, one that's shaping the future of the internet. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, Alexandra Overgog, who will help us to unravel the mysteries of Web3. We'll talk about what Web3 really means, the exciting business opportunities it offers, and the strategies that give companies a competitive advantage. We'll also touch on network effects and highlight the top incubator and accelerator programs in the Web3 world. So get your coffee ready and let's dive into the fascinating world of Web3. As a reminder, the information presented in the podcast is for entertainment use only and should not be taken as a financial, business, tax, or legal advice. Please make sure to do your own research and consult with your advisor before making any decisions. Alexandra is the founder and CEO of Serial Labs, an innovative platform that facilitates connections and interactions between Web3 projects, venture capitalists, and angel investors on a global scale. She's deeply involved in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space, sharing her knowledge through publications on Cointelegraph, which is one of the leading sources for blockchain technology news. Additionally, she serves as a mentor for DLD talents, NFT talents, and Bitcoin talents programs offered by Frankfurt School Blockchain Center, nurturing the next generation of blockchain and digital asset experts. Alexandra is here with us today to delve into the captivating world of Web3. But before we dive into the topic at hand, let's take a moment to learn more about your personal background and what inspires her. Welcome, Alexandra. We are very happy to see you today. Thank you so much, Asil. Thank you so much for this wonderful and kind uh, introduction. Perhaps what I can start saying is that I'm Dutch in terms of my own background. I was born in the Netherlands here in Europe. And since approximately eight years now, I live in Italy in a wonderful place called Florence. And I run my own startup in the Web3 sphere. My background in terms of academia is mostly in law and in political science. And I basically start to get involved with blockchain and Web3 since approximately 2017. Amazing. So what inspires you, Alexandra? What makes you wake up every morning? Such a wonderful question to start with. When I speak about Web3, I kind of mean Web3 here as social political construct. So in the past, right, we had the internet evolving as open access environment where everyone could build, where everyone could access these open protocols and engage and interact with one another. But slowly over time, the internet became slightly more monopolized. Whatever we're doing on the web today, it's very much registered. It's very much monetized by big, big companies out there. And what Web3 really wants to do is actually bring like the agency of the internet back to all of us. So very simply put, what inspires me is that I feel that it's an opening, a gateway to a better and different world. And perhaps we'll deep dive a little bit more into that. But that's actually what made me take that shift from wanting a different career towards stepping my feet into working the Web3 ecosystem. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. 
Yes, indeed. Before we dive into the business opportunities and strategies in Web3, let's take a moment to ensure that everyone is on the same page. So I guess you also have heard like in Web1, we were the consumer. In Web2, we are the product. And in Web3, we are the brand. So could you please explain in, in simple terms, how do they relate to each other? And how does Web3 evolve from Web1 and Web2? Yeah, so to immediately start with Web1, as how it's being called today, and indeed what you've just mentioned is completely correct. I really believe it was a time really where increased connectivity between the different parts of the world and increased opportunity for e-commerce, for sharing of information was really, really hot and happening. And it opened up so many opportunities. But then slowly over time, Web2 came up which really brought a lot of wonderful things. You know, the really fact that imagine now if you if you want to go on to the internet, right? You're probably using Google, you're probably using Facebook, you're probably on LinkedIn, you're probably also engaging with other types of services out there on the internet that basically require you to do a login with a password, right? And with a username, etc. There's really a wonderful, I would almost say, mirror of opportunities there. But on the other hand, that really provides these companies that have built these solutions with a lot of data, right? About all of us. Even though we can do so many things on really the web too, as how we still find it today, we are also becoming a little bit vulnerable, especially as individuals. And I think that's really problematic. So what Web3 really is, decentralized and an open to everyone built on top of the current internet. But instead of that, we're logging in with our username, etc. We're really interacting with Web3 through a decentralized applications and our own wallets, basically. And what is really important here is that in Web3, there is a lot less trust needed. As also said by Gavin Wood, he's one of the co-founders of Ethereum. And he basically said in 2014 that Web3 is really less trust and more truth. So it puts really the agency of how you interact with the internet and with whatever you're doing online back into the hands of all of us. Perfect. That was a very dense and very deep explanation. And Alexandra, you mentioned that creating platforms has become easier, which obviously leads to more competition and making it challenging to stay on top. So in this dynamic environment, how can businesses find and maintain their competitive advantage? And when it comes to creating and capturing value, what strategies should Web3 businesses consider to stay ahead of the game? Basically, year by year, more and more Web3 companies and Web3 projects, as we call them, so early stage companies, are being launched. And interestingly, more and more and more developers are also joining the sector. And it's really a hot and booming industry, despite of some of the news that you might hear, right, about Bitcoin's price collapsing or scams or any other type of negative news that you sometimes hear, especially in mainstream media. There's a lot more to that story. Having said that, I think it's really a lot more of a nascent industry. So there's a lot of businesses that are actually you know, they don't even have a product market fit at times, or they have a great product market fit, but they don't manage to create the right user interfaces, or they don't manage to obtain the right type of audience, just because again, Web3 is booming, but it's still pretty small. So there's a really, really a lot that can be said about competition and the growth of Web3 companies out there, but I can really recommend everyone to do your own research. So go out there, go look for, maybe you're really interested in NFTs. 
then go to do some research about the NFT companies out there. Maybe you're interested in blockchain that's being combined with IoT. You can just go to do your own research and find companies that are of interest for you and to really try to figure out what is really the value that these companies provide. Are the products and services that they're offering, do they have like a real use case? Or is it something that is highly speculative? Is it maybe, you know, based on meme coins only? That's really something that I can recommend everyone listening here to do is to really do your own research. And that's, again, almost like a cliche, but it's really the truth. It's the most important thing out there that you can do. My next question is about regulatory considerations. I think it's very important. So how do you think the regulation is shaping for Web3 and what should businesses be mindful of when operating in this space? If you're building a Web3 project by yourself or with a group of friends or with a group of coworkers and you really want to professionalize it, of course, you need to incorporate it somewhere, which then implies, of course, that the regulatory framework and the jurisdiction of the place where you're going to incorporate your company will actually apply to the company that you're building. And if you're looking globally right now, you see that so many countries out there are actually developing their own frameworks about blockchain technology, about digital assets, and about certain products and services that you can or cannot provide. I've done recently a little bit of research, for instance, about there's a couple of articles of mine out there for the Cointelegraph. So I looked at, for instance, the regulatory framework in Switzerland, the regulatory framework in Portugal, the framework in South Korea, a couple of other ones as well. And what you really see is that they all kind of like tackle blockchain and Web3 and crypto in different ways. So what I would always recommend you if you're building really crypto or Web3 companies that you very much check before you incorporate whether or not the legislation and the regulation out there is actually in your favor, yes or no, because once that you are incorporated somewhere, it's pretty tricky to actually, you know, carry it away. Having said that, I think it's also really important to mention here that we see, of course, groups of, of countries, right, such as European Union with their new Mika kind of like legislation, really that they're trying to tackle Web3 and crypto in a more comprehensive kind of way because they've realized that if they're going to make individual regulatory frameworks out there that is actually going to contradict, right? It's going to lead to a patchwork of, of kind of like competing legislation out there. So what they've done is that they build this Mika framework, which I hear from the sector, okay, it's great because now that there's legislation in place, at least we have clarity about what can happen and what cannot happen, especially with regards to Europe and Mika, that really Web3 companies out there that don't want to be regulated, they're probably just going to move to jurisdictions such as the British Virgin Islands or elsewhere where actually legislation is a lot less prominent. And the final thing that I will say is, because it's dangerous to end up in a monologue here, is that, of course, Web3, and that also accounts for Web2, right, to a big extent, we're speaking here about technological applications, about applications that cross borders. So it's not centralized in one location that you can just boom, cut off the servers, etc. No, Web3 is all over the world. So if a Web3 company just puts their company incorporated in a favorable jurisdiction, then of course the Web3 projects can still be out there globally in a decentralized manner. And that in a way you can basically circumvent like stringent regulation out there. So yes, there's a lot of stuff happening, but I fundamentally believe that the real 
evangelists, the real Web3 enthusiasts are probably just going to move away from the places where you see really tight regulation and just going to put it elsewhere. And I think that for regulators and for legislators out there, it's going to be pretty hard to really cut down the roots of Web3. Now let's talk about one of the very important terms in the Web3 about network effects. This term often causes a lot of confusion and misunderstanding, but it's very essential to understand for the success of Web3 projects. So Alexandra, could you please help us clarify what network effects mean? How do you define network effects and how do they contribute to the adoption and value creation within Web3 platforms? And if you have any some you know practical tips or strategies for businesses, we'd love to hear them as well. Oh, that's a very nice and interesting question. You know, if you build something great or if you build something that really people want, ideally people will start to speak about it, right? Oh, I've just been using this new platform out there. It's really cool. You should actually use it too. And to an extent, that is like a part of the network effect. What I think is also really important for the network effect is that certain products or services only work really well if a lot of people are actually using it. Imagine the classical marketplace, right? So ideally you have buyers and sellers and that establish prices with one another. But if that marketplace is really, really small, of course, the value for the whole network is like smaller than when you actually have a lot of people participating and a lot of people interacting with one another, just because then prices are more competitive. There are more possible combinations that can be made between buyers and sellers. And what I think in Web3 is really important is community, right? So the idea that especially for Web3 companies and projects out there, they need to have a flourishing community. So what it means is basically that from the early days of when they're developing their product or service, they have a huge amount of people in Telegram groups. They have people on Discord. And really the idea is that while you're the, the founders of a Web3 product are building, they're actually interacting with the community, right? They show new features. They show new products and they ask actually also feedback of their community, right? In exchange, often these early adopters or fans or members of the community get certain tokens or they're engaging with the founders in open access events, for instance, Twitter EMAs. And that is all really, really interesting. There are, of course, a couple of dangers here. What sometimes happens is that these types of communities are actually not being built by early adopters and supporters, but that, that are they're being overflowed by bots or by people that are just hunting for the newest token and that actually don't really care about the project. Likewise, it can happen that you have a very, very small community just because you're not building a business to consumer kind of platform, but perhaps you're building more of a B2B web free project. And therefore it can be that if investors see that you have a very small community, it can be taken as a signal that you actually don't have product market fit. There's really a lot that can be said about community and about networking in web three. And that we haven't even spoken about doing business in web three and the importance of networking and knowing the right people. That's like a completely different discourse that we can open as well. There's yeah, so much really that we can tell here and, and engaged about it's, this podcast. I think it can last also hours if you don't stop me in time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now let's shift to more advice to builders in terms of strategy design and market. Obviously we cannot cover everything in this podcast in detail now, just your advice how they should strategize to make sure that they have a lot of community, to make sure that they have a lot of users 
to make sure that they are going to be successful because it seems like there are lots of opportunities in this area and people don't know how to start. What kind of advice can you give to builders? Thank you so much for the question. A really good question. And again, as you said, we cannot cover everything because, you know, there's whole books about this. There's whole accelerators and incubators out there that people can apply for that are actually providing six to eight week programs that basically allow you to create your company or project and then make the most out of it. So let's do a preliminary question. If you want to build something, I would really consider why you want to build this. Do you want to build a certain company just because you see a market opportunity? Do you want to build a certain company because you have no other options? Perhaps you can't find a job. Do you want to build a company because you care about something inherently and therefore you're very eager to create, let's say, a solution? If I talk about Thrilled Labs here, I worked in business before and I saw certain problems that we were coming across when doing business with one another in Web3. And based upon that experience and the very fact that I was really, really eager to solve this problem for Web3 companies out there, I actually created our platform that is launching soon. So I would very much look at why do you want to create a certain solution or project or company and then really weigh in for yourself if that value and if that motivation that you have is also going to last long term. Because you can be like super keen to solve something in the next few months, but you must always be considering whether you're willing to work on this project, especially if you're one of the founders for the long term. Well, if you are completely into that, if you if you figure out why you want to do it, you're rational and you think it's completely fitting your background and your needs and your wants for the future, then I would actually only start recommending that you start looking at, okay, the type of problem or solution that you want to address, is there really a market fit for that? Because you see, I will make this a little bit more practical. You see, for instance, currently a lot of NFT marketplaces being launched. Wonderful. But the question is, how many different NFT marketplaces does the world really need, right? The same goes for other types of infrastructures or perhaps meme coins. Whatever it really is that you want to, to build, consider if there's going to be a need for your company or for your project in the long term. And actually from there you can build and be strategic about how then you're actually going to build this platform. Another really important systemic consideration that you should make is how are you going to finance your projects, right? Unless you're maybe super, super rich or your project doesn't cost any time or money from your side to develop, you're probably going to need funding. How are you going to finance that? Are you going to finance that from your pocket? Are you going to finance that by some of your co-founders? Are you going to try to raise money from VCs or from angel investors or indeed from retail investors? Those are all very, very important things that you should take into consideration. And then once that you're really out there, you're starting to build, then of course you need to think about your community, about, you know, marketing, all the type of classical things that are also now in today's world really needed when you're building a business. Those type of things you should also do when building a Web3 business. Of course, you need a website. Of course, people need to know that you exist. Of course, your product needs to look a little bit appealing because probably otherwise people don't want to use it. So yeah, there's so much that can be said here. Alexandra, so you mentioned about accelerator and incubation programs. Do you have some recommendations regarding those programs? Are there any notable programs that specifically focus on fostering and building good Web3 projects from scratch? That's an excellent question. Again, I'm getting used to your excellent questions by now. 
Yes, actually, I do have a big recommendation. So in terms of where my journey really went and where it's going, I can really recommend everyone to check out basically a venture capital firm. So they're like professional investors, but they also have built a wonderful incubation program. And this company is called the Blockchain Founders Group. What you can really do is check out their website and you see information about what is called the Superstars Program. Without getting too much into details, I was working previously for a blockchain infrastructure startup last year and a year before that. And I was really, you know, happy with my role and I was learning so much. But I had a little bit of a difficult time last year due to some things that were happening in a private sphere and I really needed a break. And I came across this this company out there, this superstars program built by the Blockchain Founders Group. And I thought, I think I have some great business idea under the service but I just need to un- uncover it. I just need to open up and brainstorm. And I actually joined this incubator myself. And indeed, after a couple of weeks, quite randomly, the ID for Trilled Labs bumped onto my mind. And what I can really recommend you about this program is that basically you can participate if you're being selected without even a business idea yet. Then for a couple of weeks, you're really working on things that I've mentioned before, right? Product market fit, brainstorming about what can be really great Web3 projects. You may collaborate with others to form a little group. So when I say, by the way, incubator, I mean very early stage kind of business builder almost. So an accelerator really makes you accelerate your growth, right? While an incubator is really like incubating your growth. So having said that, there's a lot of other accelerators and incubators out there. I can really recommend your audience if you think you have a great business idea or if something is actually shimmering under the surface in your mind for a great business idea, you can really check out these incubators and accelerators. Please though, and this is really something I must stress, do make sure that the company that is offering this type of program, if they're solid and if they're actually not scammers altogether, because unfortunately there are some programs out there that you even need to pay for and that then make all these types of promises, right? Even with regards to funding. Yeah, just pay us uh, 5,000 euros before joining our accelerator and then we actually will probably connect you to investors. You know, these types of promises that are being made. So really make sure that if you're going to apply or join, whether or not it's like a legitimate type of company. And you can probably figure that out by looking at the website, by looking at the people that are working for this program. You know, you can look them up on Twitter, on LinkedIn, you can Google them. Make sure that you do your due diligence because unfortunately, you know, where money can be made, sometimes people can still be taken advantage of. Yeah, well, that's that's a great advice. And thank you so much for mentioning the importance of checking before applying and also, Alexander, we'd like to hear more about Surreal Labs and its role in the Web3 ecosystem. So could you provide us an overview of what your company does and how it supports Web3 projects? And additionally, what are the key factors you consider when evaluating potential projects and collaborating with them? As I mentioned, fundamentally, Thrilled Labs grew from my experience working in the business side of Web3. And I saw that companies, they're all like talking with one another. They're collaborating, again, not only for what we've touched upon earlier, creating the network effect and exchanging community. And actually, some of them are building 
B2B products. So of course, there are also interaction between Web3 companies. It's very, very important. But also Web3 companies, of course, not they're not only talking with each other. No, they're also fundamentally, again, a systemic reason that I've also touched upon earlier. They're talking with investors because in order to build their project and their companies, they need money. Right. So what I've observed in my previous role is that we're all talking with one another globally, but there, it's very little streamlined. For instance, project founders spend hours a day on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on the internet, trying to connect with investors. They send out their pitch decks, they send out their applications. And a lot of times, even if they manage to jump on the call, like there's a complete mismatch between the interest of the Web3 company and indeed the interest of the angel investor. Now, this is one of the problems out there, right? There's a lot of time being lost for interactions that would have not been necessary just because the interests don't fit. For instance, a lot of Web3 companies out there, they're raising funds based upon tokens that they are having or that they are going to have in the near future. Right. So they sell their tokens or you can imagine them as crypto assets to investors with promise or the assumption that these tokens later will be worth more just because their company, you know, has a great product or service and therefore their, their token indeed is worth more. Now, it can be that certain investors are indeed looking for tokens, but certain other investors, they're not even interested in tokens. They only want a part of the company. Right. They just want equity. But sometimes you only find that out after a while. So in this way, there are so many different interactions that are happening between Web3 projects and investors, between investors as well, just because they exchange deal flow. They also do business with one another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what I thought is, what if I build an open access platform for all the Web3 companies out there, for all the investors out there that are professional investors, where they can find one another in a more streamlined and tailored manner? And you also asked about certain procedures, right? So how Web3 projects are being selected. Well, this actually relates to another problem that we see in the Web3 space. So I just mentioned to you that lots of interactions that are happening in Web3 are inefficient, right? Because interests mismatch with one another. So what is like really the paradoxical point here is that trust and knowing the right people is so, so important in Web3. And I think that is almost like a shame and it's an opportunity cost. And therefore, and now I'm getting to this point, therefore, our platform is actually open access. So the idea is that any Web3 project out there can create a profile on our application in a few simple steps. You just say in which type of verticals are you building, in which stage your business is for which type of funding you're looking for. You're looking indeed for equity, or you may be looking for token-based investments and so on. So based upon that, the algorithm is going to suggest potential matches. And you asked like, what are the boundaries? Again, none really. So ultimately I want that the market decide any project out there can join our platform for free. As long as your ID and your business is good enough, my hope is that the right people can be connected for collaborations and partnerships, but also to the right investors so that the best ideas and the best businesses actually will thrive in Web3. Wow, that's that's so amazing. And actually, I'm already feeling how many projects you are going to help and I wish you great success. And also, it somehow reminded me of Tinder, but for Web3 projects, helping them to find right investors and helping them to connect, which is truly innovative idea. and. I'm very happy for, for you and your team. Thanks so much. Yes. So my next question is about the resources. 
yeah, what should we do with all this information in terms of like breaking this down? What kind of resources can you recommend for builders and entrepreneurs to understand the concepts that we have discussed today? And how can we go from idea to action? Yeah, that's, again, a really, really great question, because sometimes it's tricky, you know, there's so much happening in Web3. And that makes it very, very interesting, but also very, very hard to keep track of. And I think fundamentally, just because it's very much tech-oriented space, I think sometimes it can also scare off people that maybe don't know so much about it. Because if you hear like crypto assets, digital assets, blockchain technology, layer one, web one, web two, web three, there's DeFi, you know, liquidity pools, staking, yield farming. There are so many terms out there that almost like scare you off. What I really recommend people is to really have a look at your own background. Let's say if you're a lawyer, perhaps, and you're really interested in Web3, just try to discover maybe the legal challenges that Web3 is coping with. Are you a technologist? So in a sense that you are already a developer and you can code, then it should be a little bit more easy for you to actually be able to understand smart contracts. Are you still a student and perhaps you're studying economics? Perhaps you can start figuring out how Web3 provides economic opportunities for people across the globe and financial inclusion. So what I always recommend people is to actually yeah, look from your stance, from your perspective, how you could relate to Web3 and then take it from there. Fundamentally, blockchain and Web3 are really merit-based environments. So it doesn't really matter if you are a man, a woman, perhaps you're non-binary. It doesn't really matter who you are. It's about what you can whether or not you're interested, whether or not you're willing to contribute. And there's so many people out there that are actually also eager to help you if you have questions. The barriers actually to reach out to people to help you are very, very low, right? You can easily contact people in that regard. If anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll really try to do my best to help you. So what I really think about Blockchain Web3 is that just because it's so open for people worldwide, there are so many opportunities for women. Beyond entrepreneurship itself, of course, if you are a woman and you have a great idea for a company out there, yeah, go for it. You can do it. Again, as I mentioned before, a lot of Web3 companies actually struggle with the same types of business growth issues that traditional companies are struggling with, right? Again, marketing, branding, you need to know the right people. Again, there's, there's a place really for everyone in Web3 beyond tech as well. That's really the point that I want to make here. Wow, that was so perfect. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. And it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I personally learned so much and I'm sure that our listeners learned a lot. And after our talk, we'll just go and Google, find the right programs, find the right resources and educate themselves. You have inspired so many, so many women uh, around the world. So we are very grateful for that. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And it was just lovely. I really appreciate it. And if everyone has like if anyone has any questions or doubts, please feel free to drop me a message anytime. We'll really try my best to help you and give you some further educations because ultimately we really have to work together, right? To grow and to establish this ecosystem and to, yeah, flourish in life. So thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm super eager to, to hear more from you. Thank you for listening to the Femmes Finance Podcast. I hope you learned something new today. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode. So please don't forget to rate and subscribe. Thank you so much and have a nice day.